I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. There's a monumental shift in power at work. Employees are speaking up. Turnover is rising. Salaries are increasing. Hiring is tough. And burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 74 of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by Alice Henderson, who is the customer care development lead for John Lewis. And we were introduced by a mutual friend, We've had a couple of chats already, and Alice has got a fascinating background, skill set. It's just perfect for the um, podcast. So, Alice, thanks for giving up your time and joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's quite quite an intro you've teed up there, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> none, none. Oh, no, but thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the next, uh, what, half an hour or so. Yeah, well, me too. Um we were talking actually just at the start. I was just checking your uh, getting your correct title with John Lewis, and you made an interesting point actually about how you actually do lots and lots of other things. Titles can be quite narrow sometimes, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and we've just uh, we've restructured actually within customer care. So we've we've come together as uh, John Lewis and Waitrose. Um, so we're kind of a, a pan partnership um, customer care function now, which is great. So that sort of happened earlier this year. And um, as part of that restructure, yeah, so my role now is development lead, but it spans, it's, it's a whole breadth of uh, helping support strategy development for our senior stakeholders um, and a continuous improvement capability and our communication strategy and implementation of change into our estate. So yeah, it's quite a wide uh, remit, and uh, but very exciting space to be in within contact centres because there is so much change at the moment. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a brilliant area to work in. Well, just the things you mentioned there: change, continuous improvement, communication, development. That those are kind of fundamental in contact centres, aren't they? But it's it's very wide. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And um, and I've got a, a brilliant team that have, have come together under the restructure and um, we're, we're finding our feet and we're running with it, which is fantastic. And everybody is learning new elements to their role at the moment because some people have not got the waitress experience, others have got the John Lewis, some people have the change experience and not the CI. So it's quite an exciting time to build something um and uh, and face into the, the future for customer care that sounds great and we'll, we'll get into that just to start with um how have you got to where you are today what's been your history well I um I got so I've actually been in the John Lewis partnership for 20 years it will be next month 
Um, wow. I, I know. I actually can't believe I'm saying it out loud. And <laughs> uh, and mainly uh, I joined uh, on a management training scheme way back and started in John Lewis Brent Cross and then worked through various shops and um, got my first taste of, of, of what a contact centre may be like when we initially, this was, you know, at least uh, 15 years ago, sort of centralised, I say centralised, actually we didn't, we localised some of our contact centres within our shops and, and kind of had regional uh, contact centres. But actually the setup was nothing any, anywhere near what we have today in terms of the professional capability, the technical infrastructure required. Um, but I found it fascinating then because the pace and the agility that you have to have within uh, contact centres is just off the scale and it was it was fascinating and it just um, you, you're constantly um, needing to be agile and, and think on your feet and it's quite impressive um, and the, the scale of it and the size of it and the complexity of it as well so um, but I carried on in my operational role um, and then a, a role came up to work uh, within contact centres uh, about eight years ago. So I became a project manager. Um, and that was sort of my first foray away from operational roles into uh, delivering change. And um, I just absolutely uh, loved it. So for the last eight years, I have stayed in contact centres and they haven't been able to get rid of me at all. <laughs> and my roles evolved from project manager into business development manager. And um, yeah, and then it has had various iterations to, to where it is today. It sounds like you're well adept then at um, not just the pace, but de- but dealing with change. How, how does the how does this last like two year period compare with the previous kind of let's say six years, I guess, of, of contact centres in terms of just looking at change? Oh gosh, so I think um, to, if I'm honest, I think the last couple of years have been everything has the ante's been upped absolutely in terms of what we needed to do, and so therefore. I think everybody's degree of risk and how they assess the risk um, mm. and, and, and people's ability to work within that degree of risk has actually changed. So I think pr- prior to that, I think the volume of change we were starting to see through our contacts into a state had already was already on an upward trajectory. Um, but I think the game changer is the, the need for us to respond and react quickly in the last sort of 18 months two years has just meant that people's threshold for the level of risk that they need to accept to then implement that change so actually if it's uh, 80 percent there actually we can manage that risk because we've got a really good team we're really focused on managing that and pushing it over the line to, to actually deliver on it and um so i but i think that only works with everybody coming together and really trying to make that a success. So whether that is people needing to get home within a matter of two to three weeks and us just building a plan to make that happen and, it, and needing to accept the degree of risk that might mm. come with that in terms of whether that is uh, the operational infrastructure that's needed. Um, but I think uh, that's probably been the shift, but I actually think the volume of change 
is I would say that even prior to that, it was still there because the appetite to change the business and evolve the the whole uh, the John Lewis partnership and continue to strive for that customer service excellence was already there. I think this just helped trigger and fast track some of it. Um, and I think thinking back to six years ago when well, actually it's longer than that I was thinking before I came on this program I've actually been in this for eight years now but I keep using the same six years <laughs> yeah. and I've forgotten your mind's got the, stuck yeah I have I think it's it's to do with COVID your mind gets stuck to a place mm. before COVID and then you forget the period of time in between um but it you know I think for us customer care has grown in its scale um, and certainly the shift to online has really expedited that um, but I think prior even prior to that when um, it was first formed because we had our outsource contact centers and we've also got our in-house contact centers and so when I joined the team eight years ago we were looking at about 30 pieces of change that uh, wanted to be implemented within customer care and I think prior to the COVID pandemic, we were tracking at about 150. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, we were facing into what, you know, and eight years ago, we, we had change being delivered from so many different business areas that we didn't truly have the visibility that we needed. And when I say we, I, the teams, this is for the resource planners, this is for the MI teams, this is for quality and training, the knowledge managers, um, we we just didn't have a funnel, a really good change governance in place that gave everybody a view of what was in the pipeline mm. and equally an opportunity to prioritise it. So part of my journey was um, working with my colleagues and recruiting a, a member into my team who was brilliant to help govern the change particularly from the central stakeholders that were coming up with some brilliant initiatives but going straight into the operations so sometimes resource planning didn't have visibility of what was happening uh, within the operation that might be driving a brilliant benefit but actually just didn't have a line of sight into it so we built that uh, formal change governance um, up from scratch and um, so therefore when the pandemic came upon us we were actually at already a really good framework within mm. which people could operate um, and so therefore it was just bringing the focus uh, and changing the change activities to support what was needed um, at the time rather than having a big revolutionary change to how we approach delivering and implementing uh, what was needed. I love that idea of for change governance then what you're saying there is to to ensure that all the various stakeholders are informed involved that communication element then must be critical but how do you how do you strike the balance between informing and involving so that do you determine that because I just think if you've got you want people to be aware, but then some people will come in and make unnecessary changes or change the target. And am I making any sense? 
Yeah, no, you are. Well, I suppose there's there's, there's two elements. There's one is, uh, you know, the, the customer care strategy and what are we doing within the contact centre estate to drive forward and support the overall um, business plan for, for the whole of uh, the journalist partnership. Uh, and so obviously that's more within our gift and our control and our sphere of influence and obviously working with my, my head of customer care and um, the rest of our senior leadership team to help shape and define that so then you've got a really clear roadmap of, of change and, and you've got your strategy and what you want to be delivering on and so then that that forms part of that transformation roadmap what you also have is you've got the central uh, stakeholders and so whether or not that's from trade whether that's digital, um, marketing, et cetera. And you've got so many components of which the customer care team, you know, they will touch all of those customer journeys. Mm. And I think there was a huge education piece that needed to be done and still does, you know, it actually in terms of stakeholder engagement, that doesn't stop. That's a continual cycle. Um, but what we needed to do once we created the the change governance framework is actually make sure that we were engaging with those stakeholders and actually there is uh, uh, an appreciation that um, you know most of those stakeholders haven't come up through the contact center route in the industry yeah. so at, so actually there's a bit where sometimes we just acted as the translator um, <laughs> and, and and we were almost the conduit. We were like, look, we don't expect you to understand what all the teams do and how they do it, but actually come and talk to us, and we can make sure that you you're in contact with the right people. Because we're, you know, my team is certainly not the SMEs at all, but we would know who to go to for what. Um, and uh, and I think what it worked really well is when you do have that engagement and you can then influence that change further upstream to make sure that it's developed. And we're not just talking about the, the projects that every company has where it's gone through the business case process. You're talking about the continuous improvement initiatives that people that want to see and drive forward within their, their own areas um, and therefore will engage with us and let's understand that change and, you know, and there's a the bit of honesty, which is, well, actually, if you want to implement it, you've got to come through us anyway, because we're almost the gatekeepers for customer mm. care. Mm. Um, but but very much the um, approach is work with us. And then actually, we can probably come up with something that's even better than what you're, you've got planned and, and, and help us. Uh, well, let us help you in that early development stage. Um, and therefore we can then move them through our, our change process and the, the change we can get impact assessed as well. So everybody within customer care who's a key stakeholder will have an input, a formal input as well as an informal input into that change to make sure that all the due considerations uh, were made before um, we went through into implementation. And then you know, my comms team have been fantastic in building a really good framework to help monitoring um, how that 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 change has been um, landed. So, but it's not um, it's an ongoing process. So it never stops. The, enga yeah. the stakeholder engagement never stops, and the flow of change never never stops. And um, and as you can imagine, people move roles, so you need yeah. to to be reengaging all the time. Um, but it's enabled us to then have really good visibility of what's coming. 
challenge you know some of those changes as well to make sure it's absolutely fit for purpose and then ultimately sort support the whole business in in delivering uh, delivering that through you mentioned something earlier around um in this last sort of period that the appetite for risk or ri- or the relationship with risk has changed right so does that mean that there's you've had to sort of dial down perfectionism at the expense of just making sure you implement. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't know whether we have dialed down. Actually, yes, I would say it's taken away the need for perfectionism. At and ha- would I say though that the outcome's been any different? So, have we implemented anything that has been not as good as it was? Had we? gone through the perfectionist route no I don't think we did I think we did something at pace and we implemented it and then but we I think we mitigated the risk by just having a really great working group so let's take we we built a sort of a uh, our home working um, team we had a a project team uh, and from all areas of, of customer care and we came together and we would meet regularly and implement and, uh, the activities on our plan. But I think the speed of which we were doing it, because we were communicating so consistently and we were delivering in such an agile manner, that it worked really well. So even though we might be going live with something where there was a degree of risk, mm. so whether that is the speed of which we recruited our partners, because we had... Um, a pool of, of experts within our working group that knew what was happening and therefore knew their role to play and how to support it, that all came together really well. Mm. Um, so, the yeah, it did remove that need for perfectionism, absolutely. But did it impact the outcome? Probably not, which is quite, you know, it's, so there's a big learn in itself that it's okay to, to go with something without necessarily dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's before you go with it. I, I guess in that kind of scenario you just painted that I can imagine if you're dealing with experts and you're saying to them, we need to get this many partners in by this time, can you do it? Them saying, yeah, we can. It's more about the impetus, isn't it? It's the buy-in to the need for implementation because of context and where everyone was at that kind of point. That's that's the key. But you talk, you mentioned earlier about the kind of volume of change that you've had to um, deliver how do you how do you cope with that with all these different stakeholders and some I imagine are very senior stakeholders but how do you cope with the volume of change and how do you prioritize effectively uh, so I I think that's still one of our biggest challenges if I'm honest um, and I don't I don't think we've necessarily nailed it we have um we have a different approach now to what we probably had three years ago, where depending on the type of change that it is. So is it something that uh, how regular would uh, an agent or, or we call them partners if they are yeah. in-house teams, how regularly would they need to access that information? So therefore, is that something that is just goes straight onto the knowledge base and might be uh nodded to within a a newsletter format or or some other uh, content 
or is it something where it's actually formalized and this is a consistent process you use all the time and we need to now create something that's um, rigid in terms of its training approach to make sure that everybody is clear on what the new process and way of working is. Um, so I think the way that you do it is almost look at the type of change and therefore, because you would never approach any single one in the same way. And, and therefore, you then look at, and this is a very live discussion I'm having my team at the moment around what does a, what does a healthy change month look like? You know, and actually, when do you know you've reached saturation point? Um, and you know, we've got teams where we know it's. And the thing is, because because it's so vast, the different operational areas, it's not consistent across the entire yeah, estate. When you might get those pinch points, so we've got a team at the moment where we know they've got about eleven things that need to land within a six week period. Um, so the conversations are very much, but because we've got the change governance, we can see that. And then we've mm. got our uh, communication plan. We can see that there's a bottleneck. And so that's where we would have intervene and my team would have conversations with the operations managers, but also with the stakeholders that want to implement change into that estate to come up with a plan around how can we execute this and implement this effectively and actually what's right for the partners that are receiving that change um, and where's the priority lie within uh, each element of that change and what's the biggest benefit that each of these pieces of work are going to bring. And you kind of need to look at all those components and bring them together. Um, so it's not done to the operation and that you work with them um, and you agree that together um, and some of those, the outcomes of the conversations will be, and that's where part of my team's role comes to the fore is, it's going back to those central stakeholders and explaining if something needs to be amended in our approach, why, and how it's still going to be a benefit to them and, and, and enabling them to understand the risk if it, if it did go ahead. So there's a quite a few components, but I think by having that structure and framework in place already means that you can work really well within it um and there are some and it's very rare that we do but there are some occasions where we'll receive some change and actually we look at it and we may well reject it but we'll need mm. to go back and be really clear on the reasons why but it just gives us an opportunity to have that open and honest conversation um and because ultimately we need to strike the balance of supporting the business strategy but equally protecting the customer care uh, operation as well i guess that's is it the ability for people to embed the change and for it to be effective and long lasting you're are you the kind of guardians gatekeepers of um when that's delivered so that people aren't kind of I, i've been in situations where in operations you're I think you're used to the, like you said before, the pace, the agility, the the amount of change. You're kind of used to it after a while in a um, contact center operations. But if it's if there's too much, it becomes exhausting, um, and you can very quickly become a bit blasé about it. So, are you guys the guardians of that that implementation? You know, the kind of air traffic control who's coming into land and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's pro yeah, I, I think we, we create the framework for it and we, we absolutely 
make sure all the change is captured. But I think in terms of the guardians, it's quite a collective effort. So we work really closely with the resource planners to know that from a capacity point of view, that we can land this change at this moment in time. And then equally, we work really closely with the operation to understand the capacity. Um, and that's one of the, the future plans of ours with our CI um, capability is there's some brilliant continuous improvement happening across the operation at the moment, but actually we haven't quite got visibility of everything. So there could be pockets of activity that we're not necessarily aware of, that some brilliant improvements going on, but actually it won't then flag to us. There might be a change saturation going on because we don't think that's necessarily happening. So there's, um, there's some more exciting work for us to do to, to give the full visibility. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably not necessarily for us to dictate. We can flag if we think there's a risk, but we work so closely resource planning and um, the operation that uh, our regular weekly meetings kind of flag uh, just organically if we know that there's going to be a risk or issue to that. Um, and where there is significant risks or issues, then we have a sort of escalation route into our senior stakeholders to describe what the risk may well be or what the issue may be, and then come up with some recommendations of how we're going to mitigate that. Um, so there are the, the framework so far has worked quite well in, in that way where there might be risks or issues. And you and your team have helped shape the strategy for customer care with senior leaders. Was that organically as part of the process that you're because you're you're going across the um, operation, across different stakeholders. Um, that must be quite exciting to be able to play such a key role in in what your customer care strategy is. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and uh, so again, it's just pulling together, looking at the external insight, our internal insight, and bringing our senior leadership team together to really start framing what do the next two to five years need to look like and what do we need to do within customer care to support the overall um, service strategy for the business and therefore where where are we now and where do we want to, to get to? But that entire process, that wasn't a two-month process. That's a, that's a, that's a 12-month process, making sure that we've got the right input an engagement um, and that it's, you know, and it's based on some really good insights um, to get us where we need to be. Uh, and, and now we've got uh, what we call our service ambitions. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Market. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Um, and uh, we've got our sort of accountable owners to, to lead on that. So again, it's just about creating the right governance and framework and the right clear direction and, and the clear outcomes that we want to achieve um, that's 
enabling everybody to pick that up and ultimately run with it and, and start delivering on it. Um, and as a result of the restructure early this year, we've now got a brilliant senior leadership team to help drive that forwards. I love that phrase then. You said service ambitions. Service, a- service ambitions, yeah. Can you tell me about um, them? They sound great. Well, there's six levers for us. Um, you're now going to challenge me on what they are, aren't you? And expect me to <laughs> roll it off you, the you, bat. You could say there were four. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah no absolutely so um you know there's the the, the, the obvious one the guiding light one is our service I mean that John Lewis and Waitrose that is absolutely what we're known for in terms Mm. of the quality of our products but also the service that we we deliver and so actually it's it's defining what does brilliant personalized service experience for our customers look like uh, and and obviously making sure that we reduce the customer effort. Um, and then you've got the adding insights. So we're really honing in on speech analytics at the moment and really starting to understand the opportunities there and build that capability alongside our other um, insight sources. Um, and then simplification. I think probably every contact centre will mm. say yeah. the same thing. <laughs> Actually, they're... You know, the, particularly for us, the growth in online trade has been huge this year. So um, how do we make sure that we've got really simplified processes for our emerging digital customers, especially, uh, and make sure that our self-serve capability is where it needs to be, but equally that we've got um, you know 80% of our partners now home working and actually what does that technical infrastructure now need to be um, and how do we create a simplified desktop that's going to support that um, and then how do we um, really leverage the the fact that we've got our home working um, strategy and how do we leverage greater flexibility and operational efficiency through that opportunity as well? So there's a whole host of um, elements that sit under our service ambitions. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just on the cusp of starting. Well, we've started all that work, actually, um, but, but, but really motoring for it for the next 18 to 24 months. Some of your phraseology is, I love, I love. I also, I've always liked. Do you really? Because I feel like I'm waffling, Martin. No, I do. <laughs> I like some of the. Um, I've always liked partners um, as a, as a term because I, I think. But, but it, seriously, am I waffling? I know you can edit this out. How am I doing? <laughs> You're doing great. Am I? I don't bother. I don't bother editing anymore. I haven't got time. Um, so you're done. No, you're doing. You're doing great. I, it's really genuinely. It's interesting. I didn't get though. So you said service ambitions, and then there was something about people accountable. Was it accountable experts? No, what was it? Well, no, accountable owners. Accountable owners. See, I'm writing this down because I like this. <laughs> <laughs> You're not waffling. That's what the podcast is for, anyway. Oh, good, good. <laughs> no, and so I think um, so. The service ambitions ultimately is is kind of our it's our strategy of how we're going to achieve you know market leading service and um i think the account the 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 bit for me was actually you could it's great that you have a strategy but if you're not clear on who's accountable for delivering against Mm. each of those outcomes then you're 
you know, you're going to set yourself up to fail. And um, so that's why we spent a lot of time with the strategy being really clear on what's the key goals and outcomes that we want to see. And then who's going to be accountable for delivering on that. And then actually the space and the freedom should be in how you choose to achieve that goal and that outcome. That shouldn't be set out in a strategy. That should be for someone to be able to take and and run with and and, and deliver and work with others to achieve that, that shared goal. Um, and so far it's um, got off the ground and is um, it's running really well. Uh, and that sort of setup seems to seems to have been taken off brilliantly. I love that because it not I hasten to add not where I am at the moment, but I have worked somewhere where the strategy was something that you might look at as senior leaders once a year and kind of go through it and go, oh, this this looks like it's written for my area. This is interesting, but without that kind of accountability, it's it's nothing. It's just a, a set of nice nice intentions and and words the the accountability I think is great and also that people do have the freedom then if it's their area to determine how that is implemented and what those goals or what how that strategy turns into goals that's really important isn't it because you're kind of asking giving people kudos for their expertise and saying tell us how this is going to be done um, I think is great yeah, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think in the past, you know, you, you can create a strategy and then you might come and look at it once a quarter, once every six months, and then you sort of go, oh, have we done that? Have we not? Whereas this one, we, we meet once a month, everybody runs through actually what they've progressed on, what they still need to get to, and almost use it as a, absolutely as a, as a programme of work um, and where the risks and issues and then review the metrics that we declared are our key metrics that we want to drive forward as a result and where we've started to deliver on activities, then are we seeing that flow through into our KPIs? Um, and if not, why not? And what are, we, what are we going to do about it and what are the interventions that are needed? Um, so, that, yeah, I think you probably want to ask me in about 12 months time if um, that's been successful because we, we're a few months in yet but it, the framework seems to be working and um, the delivery that's that's the, the, really the proof in the pudding isn't it mm. yeah how was um it seems like externally it seems like a good a natural fit Waitrose and um John Lewis but when did that start was that just at the outset of the pandemic like we were talking before, like time's a bit strange at the moment, isn't it? But yeah, what do you mean? As in when they came together yeah. under one? Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so John Lewis and Waitrose came under one uh, head of customer care. So my head of customer care, Ray Big. So that was just before the pandemic, um, and then the senior leadership restructure was delayed as a result of the pandemic. So is now uh, live this year. Um, and but as a result it was it just happened to be great timing as well because what we found is our waitrose colleagues naturally the volume into customer care was phenomenal it went through the roof and particularly mm. with our vulnerable customers mm. and um so whilst they went into heavy recruitment within our outsource estate actually we had 
uh, our John Lewis partners where, you know, we had the shops that were shutting and therefore the volume of work within some area pockets of our contact centre estate in John Lewis where um, the volume had dropped off. So we were able to upskill really quickly um, our operational partners that could support our Waitrose colleagues with those vulnerable customers. And so that's worked really well. Um, and therefore just enabled the service levels to, I mean, they were still challenged. I don't think there was mm. any area of the industry that wasn't, no. but um, it certainly supported uh, a really important area of our business at the time. And, you know, the supermarkets, obviously that's where the biggest stress and strain was for us in retail. So it was really great to be able to take that opportunity where we've got one leadership team to really help support um, and equally with homeworking as well, that's almost by default has created an environment where you've just naturally got more flexibility um, and therefore we've got more partners trained and upskilled in different areas than we ever have before. And that's that's absolutely just uh, kind of driven that forward at a pace that I just I think if, if COVID didn't happen, we wouldn't have done. What's uh, what's your think current thinking around how this how this is going to work in terms of will you have a, a hybrid or because actually you you must have been behind that as well I guess yeah so um our our approach to we call it distributed working strategy because it's not a hybrid as such because yeah. we do we have recruited permanent home workers um so we have uh, you know contracted home working partners um as well as those that are at home versus those that are 100% on site because we've got some processes that must just be completed on site so actually we've got quite a few areas to consider within our distributed working strategy so it's not necessarily just hybrid but we absolutely are um, taking the approach that it's uh, through choice. So we asked our, our partners, what would you like to do? Would you want to continue homeworking? And the vast majority, uh, just over 80%, said actually we'd like some form of homeworking going forwards. Yes, absolutely. And naturally, during COVID, you you may have a certain frame of mind 12 months ago to what you did now. So then we surveyed yeah. again and, and get, you know, asked them again, what, what, what would you like? And actually came out with the same results. So we, we're not doing anything um, fast because actually at the moment we're still, times are still uncertain, but we, we're absolutely putting the well-being of our partners front and centre to anything that we do. And the premise is more around giving partners a choice where it's operationally possible to do so um so we haven't been rigid at the moment we're just we've we've um where we can we've and where we've been able to do it safely is we've created some space within the sites where partners can opt to come in um because you have to recognize that people have been at home for 18 months and and some partners just haven't come back on site during that period at all um now, obviously, you need to make sure that you're following the government guidelines and that safety is, is paramount, but there is a need for people to connect now. So mm. how do we then build what we want the right 
contact centre of the future to look like and the right distributed working strategy. And we're not rushing to that um, because I still think there needs to be more time for people to really formalise what they want their um, balance of work life to be and how they want that to, to fit in. Um, so, but so far, I'm really proud of how we've approached it because it's all been around the partner's well-being and what will support them. And then by default, actually, the, the operational um, flexibility and efficiency will just will follow. What was your preference, personally? How have you answered that question? Um, oh, well, I, I quite enjoy the homeworking, but that's because... Um, I also have two kids, so in terms of building greater flexibility for school runs and everything else, that's really opened up a door for us that we we didn't have before. Um, but my God, do I miss seeing my team? Um, yeah. I, I tried to fly up to Manchester a few weeks ago and that failed just because it, my daughter went into isolation. I was like, no, I can't do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I miss seeing them absolutely um but we've got really you know, I'm, I'm i'm in reading uh next week and we've got uh, four or five of us coming together so uh, it gets you far too excited though yeah <laughs> <And> <laughs> i then, was the same and then when you go in the office you get very frustrated that you actually don't get any work done because <laughs> you're just too busy um, chatting to people and catching up yeah uh which is lovely um so i think i'll end up doing a balance i think i'll definitely still be more time at home but when i'm on the road uh it will be earmarked and cleared for that that connection time that i, I really enjoy and what does the future entail for for your team lots and lots of change is there is there an is there an area that you're responsible for whether it's continuous improvement that has maybe more going on than than another area what's what's the next 12 months or is that hard to predict uh, yeah I think they they all weave together I don't think you can have one without the other actually so I think we've got um you know we're developing uh because of our service ambitions we've, we've got half of my team will be developing new work to support that um our, or implementing on change from either our own change or the wider estate CI capability is also a really big one that we want to um, build on. I think there is, uh, I think what's really nice with the CI capability is that, that because that's new for our team, that we can just shape that and make that into something that's really going to support the operation and drive a benefit. And, and the, the operational teams already do their own continuous improvement within their own areas. So it's actually uh, defining for us how do we then make sure that we're growing any the CI capability and identifying opportunities um, that help just build and support our service ambitions and first contact resolution is a really good example of that. Uh, a member of my team, Gillian, has been uh, driving that forwards. So it's it, you know it's thinking about continuous improvement in a sense of actually what's the breakthrough improvements that we need to make that's going to help support our service ambitions and um, so and then we've got our communication strategy so uh, again uh, as my, my comms team are, are fantastic and but they are definitely using um, some of our technical capability 
it's absolutely sticky plaster stuff at the moment. It's creaking at the seams and they've made the best that they can with it. So it's more around what's the right strategic solution for that then and how do we develop that and what does that look like and what's the investment that's required to support our entire estate. Um, so all I think all of them have their unique areas and requirements to, to drive forwards. Um, so I wouldn't say it was one thing, actually. I think it's more around the collective coming together. And if we can achieve all of that, then we've really helped drive our strategy forwards. I think there'll probably be people listening that kind of listen to, you talk so well about the, the impact your function has, um, but maybe they don't have that that function in place. How would How would somebody go about starting to get the same thing that you guys have in place where would you start well uh, to be honest you you've got to start with um your sponsor being on board with that vision uh so if i go back to six years ago uh it was a conversation with my boss at the time who we could just see there was an opportunity we knew that we were not quite in this state of chaos but we had a situation where we had um our, our central stakeholders delivering change into our estate and then suddenly we were x million adrift of our budget but we didn't actually know why <laughs> and um and then when we started looking into the detail we realized we'd agreed to support this change here this change here this change here and this change just just nudged up by 0.2 fte and this one just nudged it by 0.5 but once you start adding that all up collectively mm. those sums start to add up and then we suddenly realized why we were adrift and that and that then was the trigger point for okay well we need to invest uh, in a at the time we called um, becky a project coordinator but becky came on board and basically helped build the framework we had a vision of what we wanted but we didn't we, we didn't know how we were going to get there at that point. We just knew that we needed the change governance to give us the visibility that we needed to make sure that change that was coming in was going to land better than it was, that we had visibility, um, and therefore we could resource plan in the right way to support that change. Um, and equally challenge on it sometimes, because if we felt that it didn't align to the strategy, let's have that open and honest conversation at that time, because what one business area might think is going to be an absolute benefit actually could be a really poor experience for within a customer journey through customer care. And people don't necessarily know that because they're not experts in customer care. Um, so I think you, but you've got to have the support of whoever your head of is or your, your sponsor. They've got to be behind that, that vision and see the benefit of that playing through and it you know small investment of having one person come on board to help start that process and then building out your stakeholder your working group your stakeholder group that's going to help bring that together and it, it was there were so many iterations uh, I mean if Becky was on the call with the amount of times that we we had feedback sessions and every every few months we're like what do we need to improve even after every change control group call we're right right let's assess let's evaluate how did that go what do we need to improve how do we get that visibility really important that we work really closely with our insight teams our resource planners quality and training team to make sure they were getting what they needed from that process because if they didn't it was it was going to fail so 
I mean, the teamwork that we needed to make sure that we had in place um, and being really open and honest in accepting that we just we needed to evolve. And um, so now what we've got today, it, you know, it didn't happen overnight. It's been, you know, several years and it's seen several iterations of it. And it's now working so well that we've got some of our head office stakeholders coming to us in different business areas after they've had their restructure going, oh, we can hear you've got a process in place that works really well for customer care. Can we learn about it? And can we understand what it is that you do and why you find it so effective? Right. And so that's that's the proof in the pudding when you're yeah. you're getting approached by people that have seen it work and seen how it's been of a benefit either to them or to somebody else. Um, so that kind of makes it all worthwhile. And I love that idea you mentioned of, um, and I've seen it work really effectively where you're, and it's often overlooked, isn't it? It's a concept of the debrief. So yeah. regardless of result, um, what what happened? And how yeah. could we, what, what what went well? How do we do more of it? What didn't go well? How do we improve? Um, and if you, sounds like you've got yourself into that habit then of just continually doing that. Did it take, did you have to get people's buy-in to do that to start with? Especially after things have gone well, I guess people just want to keep going. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there was different approaches, I think. When you're asking people for feedback, uh, at, I think they're, you know, on a, sometimes you don't need to in the sense that if you're, if you're in the meeting, you can see for yourself what's not going particularly well and therefore what needs to evolve. Um, but I, I think it wasn't difficult to get feedback because I think the way in which we did it, we, I mean, we tried several different ways. Sometimes we got groups together to say, right, just tell us exactly what's working for you, what isn't. That worked really well. And then a second time that we did it, we just went out individually and, and made sure that we targeted teams and said, okay, so uh, for our resource planning reps, actually what, what, what are you finding is really good in this process? What needs to be added to next year? And we almost just made it part of our um, cycle of um, improvements uh, to that process. So they were so used to it. I think the important thing is that you took on board that feedback and then you did it because if you didn't, then of course they're not going to to follow that. Um, and so I think it was never really a hard sell, but it wasn't a hard sell because the likes of Becky and Tracy and my team were responsive to that feedback. And I think that's, that's the bit, if you're already in that mindset, then the rest just flows quite naturally. Um, and and therefore we've now got uh, a really well-oiled machine but even then we're still not sat on our laurels <laughs> so we'll yeah. still go right let's look at it again let's be critical um what else needs to improve and um you know as the business continues to to grow as well you know i i'm sure you know in three years time it may look completely different to what it does now because it's always needed to evolve based on the needs of of either the customer care, our contact centre estate, or, or the wider business. Well, Alice, you, despite you thinking you've um, fluffed a, <laughs> a response, you, you're obviously um, an SME. You you come across really well. I've, I've definitely learned um, a lot. What, per, you know, from you personally, um, if you were to give advice to someone listening who might want to follow the same career path as you, um, what would what would you say to them? And obviously, I'm assuming you'd be open to people 
contacting you anyway for a more in-depth answer. But for the purpose of today, what what's the kind of a really important thing for you and your own um, personal growth and where you, how you've got to where you are now? Um, oh God, that's a really interesting question. The, the best advice is, I think you need to really listen and understand everybody else's perspective. So if you want to get into change, then a lot of it is around understanding what needs to be delivered and the benefits, but equally what are the needs of everybody else. So I think the collaboration is probably the key takeaway. You can't do anything on your own and you shouldn't do anything really, I think, on your own. You've got to work with um, all your stakeholders. And, um, and I think that's what's been really successful is really understanding the needs. So whether that is the needs of, of the teams that are on, uh, on the phones or on social or on email, whether that's the, need, is it the needs of the operation or whether that's the needs of resource planning or the insight team is making sure you spend time really listening and therefore and then equally collaborating to then build something that's going to be really effective tool. Um, and then I think, you know, we, I'm really blessed with uh, a really great senior leadership team that, that really support and endorse that. Um, and, and so therefore, you, you need to have that as well. You need to have that in place. But more than happy to talk to anyone about my particular journey. Um, yeah, open to that anytime. That's great. Alice Henderson, thank you very much. This has been really interesting. Thank you, Martin. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Good. Thanks. Bye-bye. What event comes once a year and could change how you see the world around you? The answer? When your vision benefits renew. And now that they have, there's no better time to visit your neighborhood Pearl Vision, where they'll cover your out-of-pocket cost or insurance copay for your eye exam. Schedule your family's eye exams at pearlvision.com. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 4-30-2022. Exams available at the Independent Doctors of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.